Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and this is VoiceWorks Sound Business, a podcast all about sound. On this episode, we're talking about brief taking. Now, this isn't a topic that is specific in any way to audio, but at the same time, it's a vital part of the process. When delivering commercial activity in podcasting or radio, everything from spot ads to sonic branding to good old host-read ads can live or die on the quality of the brief in those initial stages. If you don't take a good brief, then you're unlikely to get a good end product. For this episode, I'm talking to John Paul Hughes from VoiceWorks sister company Mindfield, an advertising agency for ambitious brands and a company that has put a huge amount of time and effort and experience into the way that they take briefs from clients. Off the back of this conversation that I had with JP, I personally completely changed the way that I think about and the way that I take briefs from clients and partners. So I hope that today's podcast has the same impact on you as it did on me. Let's go with some great advice on how to take a killer brief. How you doing, JP? Well, how are you and where are you is the traditional way to start this podcast. Yes, mate, I'm very well, thank you. I am currently sat in a very nice, cool, air-conditioned office in central Glasgow. Oh. Looking out the window, there's, uh, I know, <laughs> I think we're about 30-odd uh, degrees up here, not too going about the weather too much, but it, it makes a pleasant change. I think you've just got to be uh, a little bit sensible and not panic as much as some people are. Well, you never know when someone's going to be listening to a podcast, but as it stands, That's true. The, the UK is under, I think it's what's being called a heat plume, which means temperatures <laughs> are up around 40 degrees, which is fine if you want to sit in a pub garden with a cold beer. 40 degrees is nice, but if you're trying to get a bit of work done, it is hard work. So that is occupying everyone's thoughts at the moment. We're going to move away from those thoughts slightly and talk about the world of audio advertising and in particular... I guess the starting point for making great audio advertising, and that is going to be brief taking. So, JP, you're coming at this from the point of view of the studio team, the creatives, but it's a whole mm-hmm. process with multiple stakeholders and the responsibility to making sure the brief is right at the very start of coming up with creative is across the board. It's not just with necessarily the marketeers or the brand itself or the creatives. So hopefully there's some good advice and tips for anyone who is any where along that process. This isn't by any stretch the glamorous part of the job, I guess, taking the brief, but it is arguably the most important. So let's start with the headlines on this one. If you're not involved physically with the taking of a brief, but it were your job to create the creatives, what do you want to see handed to you on that bit of paper or in that email that means you can do your job as best as possible? If I could sum it up for you, Jim, in one word that would be focus. And a brief must be focused. It's a well-worn phrase by Mark Ritson and others that uh, strategy requires sacrifice. And a brief really is picking up a strategic direction for someone's marketing in a business and trying to bring that to fruition through you know, some form of, of tactical execution. But you can't do that without focus. It's the biggest, I would say probably most undervalued, under appreciated and underworked document in all of marketing as the creative brief and without focus and I, I think it, it, this feels contradictory to some people that, that they think that by not giving focus and by going as wide and as broad and putting as much information as they possibly can what they're doing is actually freeing up a creative team to go off 
and uh, and create greater ideas. That it's actually the exact opposite. It leaves far too much territory to try and cover. If that creative team go off and start to work on it and they shoot off in the wrong direction, it's actually not necessarily their fault unless they've ignored explicit instruction. It's because the brief hasn't given, had the focus and given the direction that they, they need. So it is utterly fundamental that less is more, believe it or not. And that means taking a bit more time to think it through rather than just sitting down at a, a keyboard or a laptop and battering out an endless mm. uh, flow of consciousness. So if I could sum it up again in one word, it's focus. When you see a focused brief, you know you've got a chance. So is that focus at the expense of information or is it just making sure the right information is on that brief in the first place? And whose responsibility is it to do that? Because I, I, I guess the client is the person that knows the brand or the product or the event or whatever it is as much as possible. So are you relying on, on them to provide that? element of focus or does there need to be a filtration process or like a distilling of that at some point down the line exactly that you know that that client irrespective of uh, of what category but business they operate in they know how to run their business they know what they're doing that doesn't mean that they necessarily know how we do our job and what we require Mm. so whilst that information is held inside that client's head it's our job whether that's the account manager, whether that's the creative team, or whoever happens to be involved, whether it's you know it's, it's strategists, whoever, to draw that information out. That's how I see it. You know, all the answers are there within that client's head. Our job is to get the right information, narrow that down to the key elements that we know will be the most impactful, persuasive, and communicative for their audience, and then find a way to deliver that. So it's a collective responsibility. And by the way, bad briefing is a massive scourge across the entire marketing and advertising industry. And everybody points fingers at clients and says, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to, 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 to brief agencies or agencies that brief other teams don't know how. It's a collective responsibility because we all know what mm. needs to be there. And if it hasn't come through, in the first instance, you use that word filtration. It's about that. It's about saying, okay, we understand that these elements are all really, really important to you. We understand that they're all key parts of the business. But... What is the first among equals here? What is the one thing that we need to take away to find this position, know who you're going to target and what's going to be most effective in persuading them to come towards your business? And that is about sort of, you know, it's almost like (laughs) you're asking a client to kind of line up their kids and pick their favourite. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which is very, very difficult. But one of the things and the responsibility that comes from us from being outside that business is that we have a perspective on it the client doesn't. They're inside that business every single day. So what may be more important to them isn't what necessarily may be most important to the recipient of the message and the advertising. And that's where our job comes in. It's about getting the client to see that and helping them separate the wheat from the chaff and get that down to the key point that we need to get across. This might be an impossible question, but how do you do that? And it's really interesting what you say that we know as consumers at one end of this process that Mm -hmm. the best advertising is that that allows you to see the need that's being fulfilled or allows you to feel an emotion. And I think of the greatest Mm -hmm. adverts of all times, things like the iconic Guinness White Horses advert, the Tick Mm -hmm. Follows Tock one, which had a huge impact at the time on Guinness as a brand. But I don't think it even mentions the product at any point. You don't even see the product. It just makes you feel something. And we know that had a huge impact. But yet anyone who's worked in marketing or advertising or radio has worked with a client who's gone oh can you just mention this thing oh could you just put this thing in can you do this so how do you how do you control that conversation it's difficult but sometimes what it's about is and and, and i will uh, 
sometimes I'll, I'll use a physical demonstration to show this. So if we are in a, a meeting with a client, sometimes this can go well, sometimes it can go badly. <laughs> um, I will, if, if it depends what's on the table in front of us. So sometimes I'll have prepared, I'll have a big handful of pens sat next to me. And if we are at that stage, and, and, and what you do is there's always three things you're trying to, try to get this client to lay out for you as, as you're taking, as well as the obvious about who are we talking to, but all that kind of stuff. But we know that we need that strategy and we know that strategy requires sacrifice. So what is the one most important thing that we need somebody to take away from this? And that can be very client, difficult for the client to do. So to get that and, and, and to help them understand what I'll sometimes do, whether it's a, a handful of sweets that are on the table or a handful of pens, unexpectedly, I'll just shout catch and I'll chuck them at them. And uh, <laughs> now that's an under. If you take that way. eye out, it's a bad, <laughs> it's a bad meeting. <laughs> it's like... there's always, so there's always safety glasses on hand. <laughs> I, I do throw them underhand, not overhand. Um, so, which, and, and what generally happens is they're a little bit startled. They kind of go, oh, and the pens bounce off them when they land on the floor, or the sweets will, 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 will all fall. And, and, and they go, what are you doing? They go, that is your advert. If we try and say too many things. And then what you do is you chuck one pen at them and say, catch that. They grab it and you go, there's an advert with single-minded clarity and focus that delivers one message to the customer. So that Guinness example that you used is a really, really good example of it. Think of the amount of things. Think how many beers would have wanted to talk about their brewing process, would have wanted to talk about how it tastes, Mm. um, would have been tempted to default back to lots of Irish cliches and stereotypes to kind of try and get across the the heritage of the brand. But what actually happened, and, and there was an insight that, that I read about this one time, is, is when the agency who worked on that campaign would get a tour of the Guinness factory, there was a pint being poured, and someone mentioned that uh, it takes two minutes for, for the perfect pint of Guinness from pour to settle to sip. And they said, but we don't mention that because it's a negative. Now, this is where the agency really earned mm. their money. What they pointed out is, that's your point of difference. When everybody else is grabbing their pint of lager and disappearing from the bar, the true quality drink, the drink that's worth waiting for, is the one you're going to stand and wait two minutes. So they removed all of those tempting elements about what it tastes like and what its heritage is and where it comes from and simply gave you the message with the suffers, good things come to those who wait. So there's so much being said by saying very, very little. Hmm. But it came from the client and the agency having the intelligence, the experience, and the, uh, you know the bravery to say, okay, we'll remove all that and simply tell people that Guinness is so good, it's worth waiting that little bit longer for. I don't want to give away too many of the tricks that are in your toolbox, and I think you're going to go into client meetings now, and people are just going to be expecting you to chuck pens <laughs> at them from the off. But what, what's the first question in that case that you're asking to a client when you go in? If you want to have this laser focus... Mm-hmm. Do you start with that or is it a case of, I mean, we mentioned the word distill earlier. Is it a case mm-hmm. of you take all the information and you kind of filter down, filter down? Or are you going in going, right, what's the, what's the problem you're solving? What's the need your customers have? What is your the emotion you want them to feel? Yeah, I, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that's, that, that's often made is the prejudgments will be made. And too often agencies and, and, and what like will visit clients and, and they go into sale mode. So they arrive at that meeting and the first thing they want to do is start to talk. They want to tell everybody about how great their work is. They want to tell everybody about what they can do for them. They have the temptation to jump straight into tactical ideas about you should be in. So- all of which all has its place, but not there. The first thing you must do when you walk in is you go into listen mode and you shut up and and you just sit there. I actually remember very early on in my advertising career, a creative director said to me as we walked into a meeting one time, for the first half hour, this client is going to talk about themselves. 
Now, he used much, much fruitier language than that, but I'll spare <laughs> any listeners what it's going to be. And if I see you write a note for the first 30 minutes, I'm going to break your pen in front of him. And I was looking like, what? What the hell are you talking <laughs> He said, because all they're going to talk about is things that are important to them. They'll be talking about themselves and none of that matters to what we're going to try and do. So actually what you have to do in the first instance is let the client burn themselves out a little bit. Mm. Let them talk about what they want to get across, feel that they've told you everything they need to tell you, and then you take it back to the start. And you say, okay, moving all that aside, the first thing we need to do is resist tactics because everybody wants to, I need a radio advert or I want to be on television or let's do a social media campaign. But why? Why? What are the objectives of the business over the next 12 to 24 months? Okay, now that we understand what the objectives of that business are over the next 12 to 24 months, what is standing in your way of achieving them? And that, Jim, is where it really gets down to how you start to form a strategy. Because once you understand the problem or the barrier that is preventing that client or that business or that brand from achieving what their goals may be over the next 12 to 24 months, you're no longer devising an advertising campaign. You're helping them overcome a problem Mm. that will achieve the broader objectives of the business because that's what we need to remember. Advertising is not serving one purpose and that purpose is to make, to give a competitive advantage to this business or brand so that they're remembered more than their clients so that they can start to build more revenue and eventually make more profit. And something is preventing them from doing that. When you understand that, then you understand what problem you need to address. Then you can start to build a strategy. Then you can start to build the tactics in the back of that strategy. But all too often, people think about execution and selling products. You know, And by products, I mean platforms, television or track sell radio or track sell, whatever it happens to be. Move all that to one side. Understand the client's problem. And only then from there can you actually start to think about how you make them more money. You shared a document with me before we talked today, which was created by Better Briefs in partnership with Incorporated by Royal Charter. And it had some great information, some great stats in it. I'll try and share it in the episode description because I think there's important Mm -hmm. takeaways there. One of the things I looked at and it said that 80% of marketers think they write good briefs. And only 10% of agencies agree that those marketeers <laughs> write good briefs, which is a lovely disparity. But yep. it suggests that this stuff just isn't being done wrong. And the way you talk about it, the reason it's not being done right, I think, sounds like because it's actually really hard work to, do, yeah. to get that information in the first place. Absolutely. You know, there's a reason there are so many really, truly dreadful adverts, songs, albums, bands television shows and movies because it's really 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 hard to do a good one <laughs> mm. if it was if, if, if it, if it was uh, if it was easy everybody would do it and everything would be successful and, and there are many people in the advertising industry in particular with a vested interest in trying to make people believe that there's a formula to advertising there's a secret to it there isn't it is uh, there are certain scientific principles and formulas you can apply through best practice to try and give you a better chance But the truth is advertising comes down to persuasion and persuasion requires personality. And personality and charisma sometimes require taking a chance. But all too often what happens is a passing of responsibility comes away where it says, well, actually, I'm not going to make these decisions to sacrifice this part, this part, this part to focus on this in case Mm. it goes wrong. Let me just fall back, try and spread our net as wide as we possibly can and end up catching nothing. So you're right. It is a very, very tricky thing to do because a brief is a communication document. So to write clear communication to anyone, you kind of need a little bit of skill in doing that. And what uh, that it's actually a huge disservice to the the advertising industry and all advertising clients that more time isn't taken to help 
coach and teach clients how to write better briefs because it's not just about writing as much as you can on a document and hoping that someone finds the needle you want in that haystack, but it's about actually taking time to think. And we know that thinking is uh, something that a lot of us don't think we have time for in our working day, but actually Mm. you're shortchanging yourself. So it's about sitting down, it's about thinking really, really deeply and then fully understanding because again very few clients and and, and agencies spend the time to actually do this what is the position of this brand and the one thing that people want to take away that if you were to mention your name to them is the one thing they could bring back to you and that requires strength it requires thinking time and actually the other thing it requires as well is collaboration all too often people think they need to write that brief on their own they don't Ask your agency is this any good am I on the right track here share it to people get other people's input on it By all means, give everyone an opinion, but then have the strength and clarity of focus to say, okay, I can see all that, but here's where we need to focus. So it is a tricky thing to do. This might not be a particularly easy question to answer, or you might not want to answer it, but what do you do when a client doesn't get it? Because some clients won't know what the focus should be Mm -hmm. of their product, and they might not buy into your view of what that is. They might not even have an overarching brand strategy or a marketing strategy that you can buy into. So if they want to go down the route of, look, we need to get as much information in this advert as possible. We want to sell this car on the fact it's got really good MPG and it's got whatever horsepower. We don't want to talk about the feeling you get when you drive it. So is that the time you walk away? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I think that um, to walk away would take something pretty extreme. And what you can do in, in these instances is actually remember that you're only creating advertising. So don't get too carried away with your own self-importance, your own ego that you know best. Uh, you know, I was speaking to a very, very long-standing client of ours just recently who proposed something we hadn't proposed it, and they went, I mean, feel free to shut me down. I, I, you guys are the experts. I, I says, no, 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 that's not the case. A good idea can come from anyone. Sure, mm. we can put it through our experience and through our filter, but what you have to remember as an advertising creative and, and, and as an agency and anything that you work in, it's not your money. It's the clients. The client's still in charge. You are simply there to advise, to steer, to try and give the best information you possibly can, to have the backbone when you see a client is making a mistake to inform them. Because all too often I will see people nod in meetings and I've seen you know many, many, many years when people know that a client's are making a, a mistake, but they're determined and, and, and try to push their way through it. But people sit and they smile and they nod and they take the money and they move on and it doesn't work and they go, oh, well, it was the client's fault. They're the one that insisted in doing it. That's where you've got to really earn your trust. And that's where you need to build trust with a client and say, look, I'm telling you this for your own good. This is your money. It's not mine but I need to make it work for you. And if you insist on doing this, and this is what you want to get across, then that's okay. We can help you with it. But what we will do with it is we will try and find a way to make it the most effective communication campaign it can possibly be. It would take something very, very extreme for you to walk away other than Mm. when you get to that point, if you think something is going to be genuinely detrimental and they want to do it, then what you would say is, well, look, I'll tell you what, you guys are going to need to put your name on this. And actually, there's, there's a wee line I often use that can sometimes help, uh, really help land that. And it is, I don't think this is good enough to put my name on it. So I don't think we should put yours on it. Mm. Quite often nice. using a line like that to a client can get them to step back, you know, because I've always said that um, in advertising, if like at the end of a movie or an album, if there were credits at the end of it, we, you see people get their names. Because as soon as you were pointed out for the person who was responsible for making that ad, a lot of people would soon get their act together pretty quick. 
It's amazing the amount of conversations that I have on this podcast, particularly when it relates to commercial activity, when it comes down to relationships and understanding between the different stakeholders throughout the process and throughout the conversation. You mentioned earlier that you don't think there's enough time taken in terms of training marketeers to take client briefs. Let's do a little bit now. Let's do a little bit of training. I mean, we're not going to solve the problem, but we might be able to help some people along the way. If you were looking at main (laughs) tips, if you're going to come up with, I don't know, let's say top three, but it can be however many you like, tips that a marketer needs to have in their back pocket when they're sitting down to take a client brief, what would those tips be? Okay, well, first and foremost, strategy before tactics. And what that means is resist the temptation to jump into, we need a TV ad, we need a radio ad, we need a a, a sonic brand. Those are tactics. Those are how you will execute the strategy. And too many marketers busy themselves with these before they've articulated the strategic problem. So start off, point number one tip is identify the strategy that will solve the problem for you achieving your business objectives over the next 12 to 24 months. So whether that's the fact that, you know, there's low price competitors have come online competitors have come into the marketplace now and challenging high street stores or identify that business problem. And from there, you can articulate a strategy to address that. Only Mm. then should you even think about starting to move into tactical execution. The second tip I would give is be single minded in your focus and clarity. So that means a single minded proposition or a value proposition. There's many a brand promise, there's many ways we articulate this. But get it down to the one phrase or sentence that is the single most important thing you want a listener to take away or a viewer to take away. Just imagine and, and the way you can do this, John Hegarty gives this tip in his book, Hegarty on Advertising. And whether it's a, a an audio commercial or whatever it happens to be. Draw, just lay out a little rectangle and draw a picture of the product in the middle of that picture. Doesn't matter what it is, just a little hand sketch. And then above it, write that sentence or phrase that you want the customer to take away. If it works in a, and by the way, I mean in plain, simple English. Don't mm. try and be clever. Don't try and alliterate. Don't, it's not a tagline. It's what is the one overwhelming emotion or reason this person would do business with us. And if it works in its most basic form, you have a level of focus that that creative team can work with. A really good example of that, Jim, is actually the current Apple campaign for iPhone. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, everything that's on, and you think about how many features they could talk about in iPhones and how they could wax lyrical about this, that, and the other. But now they understand that what people are concerned about is cybersecurity. And at the end of that advert, you see that little Apple icon change to a padlock and back again. So they know that despite all the styling and everything that goes into that advert, the one thing they want that customer to take away is that on Apple and iOS, your data is safer than anywhere else. That's a brilliant so that's, exercise to do anyway, isn't it? I mean, whatever your brand or product, that's a great thing I, to do to understand what your audience or your customers are looking for. Exactly that. It's all about position and how do you get that? You know, so you go back to the classics of, you know, Volvo safety and all these kind of things as well. But that, that exercise and that discipline of stripping it down to this one phrase or sentence, it's immensely difficult and takes a lot, a lot of thinking time, but it is unbelievably powerful and valuable. And it's how your advertising will actually land. And then the third tip I would give. So, you know, we talked about strategy before tactics. We talked about having single-minded clarity on the message you're going to deliver. And the third tip I would give is distinctiveness. So be distinctive. Within that brief, and when you're writing that, and this gets a wee bit more into executions we're getting there, but it has to come through. What are your business category or competitors 
common traits? What are the cliches? What are the stereotypes? What are all the things that you see them all do all the time? Think about that and do the opposite. That's the only way you're going to cut through, especially if you're not uh, mm. the dominant market leader in that in that category. If you're a challenger brand or there's many businesses doing the same thing, what are they all doing and how can we look, sound and feel different? So sometimes in a brief, it's not just thinking about what you're going to do, it's what will we not do. That is just as important. So just make a list of all those category cliches that you see and then say, okay, now that we know all them, we put them to one side, we don't touch them. What does it leave us? What else do we have? And that's when you've got a chance of really cutting through. I'm assuming that all this information gathering and all this relationship management is much easier when you're doing it in a room face to face. So how has this process yep. been disrupted by what we've seen over the last couple of years, which is a much more reliance on virtual technology? Sometimes it's a call, but then worst case scenario, I imagine for what you're doing, it's a back and forth series of emails and documents that must really work as a blocker in these conversations. Um, not necessarily, Jim, because actually it, it can be, it can it can make things far more efficient, and that, that you are that everybody's now become accustomed to actually listen. Can I get you on a Teams call for ten minutes, face to face, bang, chat it out, know exactly what you've got to do, see this through. There's this. Uh, whereas previously, what you'd be doing is okay, we're going to see the client again next Tuesday, so four or five days of downtime before anything else happens, just sure. to get an answer to some of these questions. And and, and email, I think email is is. It's a, it's a, it becomes a bit of a coward's way out sometimes, you know. Mm. <laughs> and I know that's a strong word, but it's very easy for anybody to fire off an email, sit back and think, well, that's not my problem. I've sent an email. It's with them now. Whereas in actual fact, getting f- together face-to-face for 10 minutes, be that virtually or in a room, you can thrash these things out. But it also gives you the opportunity to start to steer the client in the direction you think you're going to need them to go. It's about, uh, you know, it's not all about just landing this one big killer punch. It's all those, you know, (laughs) maybe not as aggressive as this, but it's all those little jabs being Mm. thrown that start to form and direct the the client to where you need to take them to give their their campaign the, the, the best chance of success. And it really is very, very simple for us to do that now. And also with, with lots of, of uh, file sharing software and you can have different people contributing to it. So I would say do that as much as you can, get other people on it. But the other thing as well is once, uh, if you're actually on the, whether you're on the agency side or whether you're on the, the media owner side, if you're the person submitting that brief after you've taken it from the client, get them to sign off on it, get them to approve it. Get a quick phone call and say, look, I'm just going to walk you through. Do you agree that these are the single most important things we need to get across? And once that client's approval's in, you've got a much better chance of all being on the same page and, and creating a piece of work that will, that will have some impact. The conversation we've had today, JP, is varied across multiple channels, multiple different mediums. This podcast is obviously a focus on audio, so there'll be people listening today that make advertising for podcasts or write host red ads or make radio advertising. When they're looking at their approach to these issues that you've talked about, obviously they have to jump to a solution to a certain extent because they are working in audio. But how much of their approach do you think needs to be, for want of a better phrase, audio plus now? So even if they're coming up with Mm -hmm. a campaign or messaging that works in audio, in podcasting, on radio, do they need to be thinking about how that might develop to be on, well, anything from TikTok to TV, I guess? Yeah, definitely. And it comes back to one of the things we always do, Jim, when we have kind of three pillars, if we're creating a piece of audio content for someone, so whether that's a a Sonic brand, a Sonic logo, a radio ad, whatever this happens to be, you know, if it's a, a piece of branded content that's going to go out on a podcast network, there's this kind of Venn diagram that we look at. 
and there are three elements to it. It's concept. So what's the idea? How does this hang together? Are you simply planning to regurgitate a bunch of features, which again, I, I kind of laugh quite often when you hear some of the, the you know, the, these podcast endorsements and, and there couldn't be less effort being put into this audio mm. message for someone who's paid for it because there's no idea. Oh, I but love some... products. <laughs> yeah. The only one is, I found quite funny is Bill Burr, the American comedian, because he'll yeah, properly slate the product. <laughs> and uh, Adam Buxton does them brilliantly as well because he'll yeah. properly come up with a concept and start to do it and, and, and does these things totally well. So you need that concept, you need an idea because everything else from there is simply the platform or the medium through which you execute it. So you've got the, the, the concept. The second part of that, that kind of, you know, holy trinity is the aesthetic. So that's when you start to get into your, into your uh, how we're going to execute this, what voice are we going to use, how is it going to sound, how is it going to feel? And then the third part of that is, it's, is, is the concept and aesthetic is its flexibility. How adaptable is this? to other platforms, to other mediums. If this client wants to take this and you say and take it onto TikTok, I'll start to use it elsewhere. How do we amplify that to be suitable for the platform? But if you start first and foremost with a concept rather than an execution, and what I mean by that is what's the idea behind it rather than how does it actually sound, then you always have the aesthetic and the, the, the flexibility elements to work with. If you start, and by the way, now and again, there's nothing wrong with a very, very tactical piece of advertising that only goes on one medium platform. It can be very, very effective, but it is very, very short term. If you start with that, you're going to be stuck. I think that we always, always have to be thinking about the concept first. And then from there, how would that be executed across different platforms? How do you know when you've got it? How do you know when you've got all the information you need in the brief, you've got the focus, you've got the key message, whatever it is, and you go, right, finally, we're there. We can go on and work on the creative now and we will nail this one. Good old-fashioned excitement. Your heart still flutters a little bit and you go, oh, we're here, man. There's something exciting. Mm. One, of the, one of the best indicators of this is how quickly ideas will start to form. When you read a good brief, I promise you, before you're at the end of it, you're already, there's three or four ideas starting to go, oh, I know what we're going to do this, I know what we're going to take it. The one thing I would say is fight that temptation, <laughs> shove it down, um, because quite often, sometimes the first ideas that are coming to you are the ideas that have been done before. That's why they're appearing really, really quickly, because actually your subconscious is drawn from something you've already seen or heard somewhere, and then you're putting a new spin on it. Now, something I will say here, just as a little side note, don't worry about being original. Forget that, man. It doesn't exist. There's a great quote that your originality only runs as deeply as the obscurity of your sources. So in other words, you can look original if you're stealing from people nobody knows. <laughs> but, if you're, but if you're stealing from things that are very high profile in popular culture, everybody's going to go, you've nicked that from there. So forget about being original. It doesn't exist. All you can be is fresh. Can you do something new? Can you do something... Uh, not new, but th does it feel new? Is it new in this context? Is it fresh? That's a much, much, much easier and much more effective thing to try and be because originality, is, as we know only too well, Jim, if you go really, really original and some people get scared of it, mm. you know? It takes a while for new ideas to start to settle in. It's not always that first mover advantage isn't always there. So bringing it right back down again and, and, and fight the urge to jump into those ideas, but you know when it's coming another great indicator of when a brief is good or an idea is really good and you say we've got it is the minute you mention it to other people they start to give you ideas too people cannot help especially creative people they can't help but build on and jump in and chip in with ideas when something's exciting because they want to be part of it so it still comes down to that little adrenaline rush you get when you know you've got something in front of you that is giving you a springboard that's what a brief should be. It, should, it shouldn't it should be a straitjacket. It should be a springboard that you can 
bounce off from and go in all sorts of directions. And actually, if you really want to test something, give the brief to two or three different people. Ask them to work on ideas separately. Pull them back together. And if you see a sort of common thread through those ideas that people are still focused on delivering that one most important thing, you know that the brief is very, very well written. JP, it's a pleasure as always to speak to you. Thank you very much for your time. All the work of Minefield can be found on the website links, which I'll put in the podcast description. There's some examples of the stuff you've done there. The report that you sent me earlier, I will also endeavour to link to in that description as well, because there's even more information on there. It's a good read if you've got five minutes. But JP, really appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much to JP for his time on today's podcast. As I previously mentioned, all the links to Mindfield's stuff and the reports mentioned in this conversation can be found in the description of this podcast. And if part of your job involves delivering commercial inventory across radio or podcasts or any type of audio, there's loads of other episodes in this series that you can listen to that might be useful. I particularly like the episode, which is also a conversation with JP on sonic branding, plus the show focusing on the delivery of brilliant host red ads is well worth a listen as well, as are all the episodes of VoiceWorks Sound Business. So make sure you've clicked subscribe, listen to the back catalogue and never miss a future show as well. And if you want any help on your audio strategy, then get in contact with VoiceWorks. We'd love to have a chat. Voiceworks.ai.